Should old acquaintance be forgot and never brought to mind? Should old acquaintance be forgot and days of old legs on air is currently unavailable. Please leave a message. I'm fairly upset that there's not going to be a podcast for this week because Brian Stone's busy teaching young kids how to be an asshole. Well, so please, Brian, bring the podcast back. We got to hear what kind of shit you're up to. What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you eating? Please post it on Facebook if you don't mind. We want to be in your business. 2019, baby! It's 2019! That's going to be it for my show. <laughs> Have a nice day! Bye! What the hell is that? What would you say you do here? Stone's Weekly Dose. Because I'm kind of an idiot. I'm a dumb guy. Brian, you don't have to keep trying so hard to impress me. I already really like you. Your midweek download destination. I told you about Brian. I told you. Come on, man. Brian was just making a joke. I'm so lucky to have met you, Brian. You're such an amazing guy. It's Stone's Weekly Dose. Note to self, don't die. Welcome in to the first podcast of 2019, the supposed for-profit venture known as the Stone on Air podcast in weekly editions each and every Wednesday is the idea anyway. This is the weekly dose for January 9th, 2019, and I do want to wish you a very sincere Happy New Year. It is, in fact, Happy New Year. I still find people, hear people, run in to people who are like, Happy New Year's! Happy New Year's! It's Happy Freaking New Year. Why is this difficult to understand? And then I've had the counter. I already know what the counter is. Is that on New Year's Eve, people are just dropping the Eve and they're saying Happy New Year's. So on the 31st, when someone says, Happy New Year's, that is technically fine, even though most people have not thought it out that thoroughly, right? I mean, they might be correct on a technicality. They're not thinking to themselves, hmm, I'm going to wish somebody a Happy New Year on New Year's Eve by saying, Happy New Year's. What I really meant was Happy New Year's Eve, and I just decided to drop the Eve for simplicity. Yeah, I don't believe that almost anybody is actually thinking that way. And then nobody gets a pass once the New Year Day rolls around, and then the second, the third, and the fourth, and so on. I don't know how long we're supposed to wish people a Happy New Year. I do it uh, at least two weeks into the uh, the month of January, I would say, if I would just arbitrarily think about it. I haven't uh, put much thought into it, but you still hear it. I heard it on a radio show I was listening to from Atlanta earlier today or yesterday or whatever day it was. All right, Happy New Year's, guys. Good to talk to you. Happy New Year's doesn't make any damn sense. I am wishing you a Happy New Year. And when you talk to others or anybody out there wishing somebody a salutation, a hello, a nice gesture, it is Happy New Year, not Happy New Year's. All right, now that we've got that out of the way. So it has been three weeks shy, excuse me, three days. Ugh, ugh, I'm all over the place. Three days shy of a month since I've last done this podcast. It is the longest I've taken off since this became a standalone in roughly July of 16. Might have been closer to August 16 once it became a, um, a, a weekly thing and might have even been closer to November towards the elections. I'm, I'm not entirely sure, but I have not gone this long uh, without doing a show. And I initially was going to take the final two weeks off 
just because I needed it. I just needed a breather. I just needed a breather. I'm not trying to be that, oh, I'm so busy guy. Hey, I couldn't call you back because I'm so busy. I'm not trying to be that, even though, you know, it's the holidays. And when you take the holidays seriously, like I did for the first time, meaning treat it more traditionally, like the average uh, American walking around, it does become more stressful and more busy. And I'll talk a little bit more about that as this first segment goes. This is going to be a very anecdotal first segment. Really, the first two segments will. I'm going to touch on the, um, the the shutdown, the border wall a little bit in the third segment of the show. So this will be just a, a traditional layered out three-segment show. Uh, Trump just spoke. I waited to, to do the show tonight until after Trump spoke at 9. And then um, Skeletor, I mean, excuse me, um, Pulaski and Schumer talked shortly after that, and then now I'm getting going here at 9.41 at night on a Tuesday when um, I'd rather be in bed <laughs> or getting ready for bed or laying on the couch or watching, uh, I don't know, Netflix or something or uh, Big Bang Theory, I whatever. But anyway, so where was I? Um, oh, yeah, so it's been a while since I did the show, and my goal was to do one on January 2nd, uh, is that right? The th- uh, first was on a Tuesday. Yeah. And the second was on a Wednesday, except for, I didn't do much on new year's Eve. Uh, matter of fact, I didn't do anything on new year's Eve. I worked and then I came home and my girlfriend and her kids came by and did some traditional kind of stuff, played some games. They had a little hoverboard thing. We're playing around in the, in the, in the driveway, uh, just kind of screwing around, listen to panic in the garage, uh, live in Atlanta at the Fox theater, had a few drinks, you know, had a few laughs, had a little bit of a, a late uh, couple more gift exchange. It was nice. It was nice, nice. Very domesticated, as a matter of fact. A very chilled, domesticated kind of night. And um, we were all off um, on New Year's Day, and sometimes I'm not. Sometimes I've worked many New Year's Days. And so I woke up at around 10.30 because there's kids in my house, you know, that are scurrying around awake, and that's just not something I'm used to. So while it didn't necessarily wake me up, I, I heard, you know, some noise in the background, so I jumped up to just be like, okay, well, there needs to be, you know, an adult somewhere around here, especially since this is out of my comfort zone. And so they got, like, some Nick Jr. or some kind of who knows what on the big screen in the living room, and I go up and make a gin and tonic. It's 1030 in the morning. I sit down on the couch, and I'm just, you know, I'm being old Uncle Brian or whatever you want to call it, and, and that's nice enough, but the key point to what I'm bringing up here was Gin and tonic, 10.30 in the morning. That pretty much seals where the rest of this day goes. Just pretty much slowly drink all day, eat some more, watch a little bit of ball games, lounge around on the couch. It's quite nice, except for once you look at the end of the day, I had drank my entire day away. So I didn't drink really New Year's Eve and have a big party then, but I had a nice, long, sloshed (laughs) New Year's Day, and that was not going to uh, bode well for putting out a podcast on January 2nd. So I decided to take an additional week off. And here you go. We are here. Thank you so much for your patience. Thank you so much, Crazy Clint, who called the uh, Stone On Air Newsmaker line, 301-8080, 301-8080-423-301-8080. I accidentally messed up and paid for another year of that damn online phone line. Call it, leave a voicemail. The chances are, your voice will make it onto the show. If you don't want to do that, if that sounds awful to you, don't worry about it. But if you do, 423-301-8080. Let's see what else is going on here. So, okay, so the holidays are over. The Christmas tree is still up. First time I've ever done a Christmas tree, and I um, I still haven't taken the damn thing down. And I do want to say, though, overall, such an incredible overall two-and-a-half-week stretch of the holiday. It was really nice. It was really, really, really nice. And this is almost like... A Grinch, uh, you know, smile grows, whatever they say from the Dr. Seuss movie. Um, all these years of, of hating on, um, especially the Christmas holiday. Uh, I like, I love Thanksgiving, New Year's. I can take it or leave it, depending on what's going on. But overall, the stretch of late November to the 1st of January this year was probably as good of a stretch of a holiday season that I have ever had in uh, going on 39 years of existence i need to get a a little closure to the story that i gave you guys and gals about a month and a half ago about the cracker show excuse me the cracker shirt like i said 
I'm as, as unprepared as I've been in forever because I'm just so out of the loop on doing this. But the Cracker shirt, the band Cracker, and the girl from California who reached out to me to try to buy mine because she found it scouring the planet to buy for her um, for her boyfriend for Christmas. I'll assume you've already heard that story. If you haven't heard that story, you'll have to go back and listen to the past episode. Uh, it was in November at some point. And um, and then this will be the closure on that here in the first segment. I'm going to run through some of the gifts I got. I thought that was uh, a, a good portion of the fun of the holiday was not just giving a couple of crappy gifts and a couple of bottles of booze and then going home and being done with it. Actually having some real um, gift exchange was a lot of fun. And real quick, it was just the other week at JJ's Bohemia. This was wild. This was incredible. Jake the Snake Roberts. For any of you WWF, WWE, WCW um, pro wrestling fans, whether you still are now or you were back when you were a kid, Jake the Snake was at JJ's this past Friday, and it was uh, it was a hoot. I don't know if it was all that mind-experiencing, uh, mind-blowing, um, had-to-fear-of-missing-out kind of thing, but I got a little FOMO, and I couldn't miss it. And so I had to go, and uh, DDP, Diamond Dallas Page, for those who are aware of this uh, industry, you know exactly who he is. If you're not familiar, he was a huge superstar in the wrestling world from the mid-'90s to the, I don't know, early 2000s. Might might stretch a little bit closer to four or five years on, on the bookend of that little time frame I just gave you. But he was there, too, unexpectedly, and it was just a, uh, a night of, of uh, spoken word. They say comedy. I, I know he was trying to be funny. He wasn't all that funny. You know, these old wrestlers are often pretty broken down. He was uh, trying to be overly crude and over the top and overly, you know, that kind of thing. You know, I can take some of that. I can leave some of that. And I left early because, uh, to be quite honest with you, I ate some uh, brownies, um, some homemade brownies that uh, were not regular homemade brownies, if you know what I mean. And it got me a little turned around, and I said, it's time for me to get out of here. And we'll leave it at that. But it was an experience that was worth doing at JJ's. I want to thank John Shoemaker for making that happen. Little weird, interesting, never thought would ever happen kind of moments like that, especially around the holiday season, even though I know we're basically done with it, is still pretty darn cool. All right, so for the next little while, I want to get to a couple of things. I'm going to get to the Cracker Shirt story here in a second. I'll get to some of the gifts I got for Christmas in the next segment and a story that has something to do with my one of my gifts and Woodstock 99 and the fact that the 50th anniversary of Woodstock is going to happen in 2019. Touch on that for a little bit. And I want to piggyback that onto the Bonnaroo lineup announcement that came out on the 8th. Right? Yes. Tuesday morning, this being the ninth, the weekly dose of Stone on Air podcast. I'm not going to go into depth on a lot of it, but I do want to touch on some of the things that I do and don't like about it. We'll do that in the second segment. And then the final segment of the show, I'm going to talk about lying and what people do and don't care about. And this entire mess of the shutdown, which isn't really as big a mess as everybody acts like it is, and this border security uh, situation that luckily Donald Trump on Tuesday night did not call it an an emergency. I was afraid he was going to do that because he does love to drill on fear because it makes the job simple. He still did some of that. All that kind of wrapped up into one little uh, who knows how long segment coming up in the third segment. So before we get to all that, I want to wrap up the story of the girl who found me in here in Chattanooga. She's in California in her mid-20s, was looking for a specific shirt for her boyfriend who is, by all accounts, because I'm friends with them on all social media, him as well now too, that uh, he's my age, if not a little bit older, but we both got the same shirt at a concert, him in California, me in Atlanta, a Cracker concert, um, and she was looking to get this shirt back for him uh, that he had lost. So he, she was just looking to replace it as a Christmas gift. That is the, uh, that's the shortened version of the story. If you'd like to know it more in depth and you have missed it from the past show, you have to go back. And listen to the show from what I believe is back in mid-November or so. So this is a email back to kind of the conclusion of all this from Adriana Martinez. She sent this on December 24th at 1.52 p.m., so Christmas Eve. It says, hey there, hope you are well. Just wanted to give you a quick update. 
I found the shirt. Around Thanksgiving, a listing for the very T-shirt I have been looking for popped up on eBay, and I was able to buy it before someone else snatched it up. I have been so eager to give it to my partner for Christmas. I finally did this weekend, and his reaction was exactly what I wanted. He lost his head. We danced around in the living room to Cracker with glasses of champagne. It was perfect. I told him about my entire interaction with you and the segment on your podcast, and it was a perfect detail to the story. He's told the story to friends so many times already, and he's had the shirt for approximately 36 hours. Anyways, just wanted to thank you for helping add a great touch to this Christmas gift. It's a story we'll always have. Wishing you a Merry Christmas. And I had a friend of mine who said, that's a great story before he even knew this portion of it. And you should try to get both of them on the show to talk about it more. And I agreed with him that I thought there could be some value to that. But just because of my laziness and just really wanting to relax over the course of the end of December, the first week of January, I didn't get around to doing that. And um, I think that's pretty much a good way to put the wraps on that. But to me, I mentioned it so much in the past show that that is such a great uh, a great story. It's just a great story. It's a great memory that uh, they will have for forever. And uh, quite, quite honestly, so will I. One more thing I want to get to here in this overly anecdotal segment is a big-time problem I had with a local company, which I don't do a lot on this show. I've done it in the past on the radio. I've done it on this show probably before. I can't remember when the last time was. But I have a terrible experience with a local plumber, and I'm going to tell you about it right now. Here it goes. So back in, when was it? I guess it was still November, end of December. I can't remember. I did a whole segment, or at least at least a portion of a segment on the podcast about my hot water heater basically blowing up. Not quite blowing up, but pretty much spewing water and doing a ton of damage here at the house. And when I finally realized what had happened, I called the first number that pulled up on a Google who had 24-hour service, and that was Mr. Rooter. The company is Mr. Rooter. The phone number for this local franchisee is 423-822-2918, 822-2918. After further review, it is a national franchise company with over 193 franchises in the United States and 26 in Canada. Sometimes large franchises and large corporate uh, companies and services are really good, and sometimes they're not. In my experience this time, it was not. So on the initial call to have somebody come out for the hot water heater, that actually, that call went through well. It was after hours. I got a call back shortly, and then I uh, got somebody out here shortly after that. They priced me what it was going to cost to fix it. I thought it was exorbitant. I thought it was very, very high, but I wanted it fixed by the next day, and I said, do it. So they did. Within the next couple of days, I started having issues all over the house. Toilets not flushing right. Uh, water pressure in my faucets, not correct, and um, and some backup in a uh, in a drain sewer uh, sewer drain in my garage that I've had problems with before, but I've had most of that sewer line already replaced once upon a time. So I'm thinking, okay, everything was working pretty good except for the hot water heater. I get the hot water heater fixed, quote unquote, and now half the rest of the damn house doesn't work. So I call their after hours when I'm having terrible um, um, water pressure issues through all my faucets, sinks, showers, all of them, every single one. And I call them and I say, hey, I'm afraid to use the faucets because I'm afraid the water pressure might really back something. I mean, hell, I don't know. I'm not smart when it comes to this kind of stuff. All I know is this doesn't look right, and I, I think I need to have somebody out tonight. They put it in a call. They say, you'll get a call back. Hour later, I call back and say, I haven't heard anything. Just want to make sure. And this is a call center, right? Who knows where I, who I'm calling, who I'm talking to. And I just so, want to make sure I'm not waiting for nothing, okay? And I'm being calm and I'm being chill. And he says, yep, got it in, got your name, got your number. It's all good. Another hour goes by. It's like 11 o'clock at night now. And I called him back. And I said, it's now been two hours. And I haven't heard from anybody. And they're like, well, I'm sorry, sir. We'll try to put it again. I said, you know what? Just forget it. Just forget it. I'll, I'll mess with this tomorrow well over the course of the next day or so that water pressure thing seems to work itself out no big deal i guess well then i run some uh my 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 uh, laundry which i hadn't paid attention to before 
and after since this issue had happened with the hot water heater, and then all of a sudden, that's when the major backup had started. Now, I, I can't even imagine how all this has anything to do with each other. All I know is I didn't have any of this backup and any of these water pressure problems before I had Mr. Rooter, phone number 822-2918-423-822-2019, MrRooter.com. Before they came out, I didn't have any of these problems. So it's getting close to New Year's Eve. Remember I was talking about earlier having um, having children and my girlfriend over to eat and drink and, and you know, have kids around and, and need to use plenty of plumbing and all this? Well, on um, on the day before New Year's Eve, I'm leaving for Nashville to go to the Titans. And so I wake up that next morning, two hours before I was going to leave town, to call the after-hours service to have somebody come out, and my girlfriend was going to stay here, and I, le- I made her a complete list of all the issues I was having, and to have them come out and do whatever they needed to do, and I would pay them later, and we would talk about what the situation was later on that Sunday. I get up at 8 o'clock in the morning. I get an, a number to call, or I, I call in the after hours. They tell me, and it was Matt two times in a row. We have a Matt on call. He'll be calling you. Well, I lay on the couch because I don't want to get in the shower and miss a phone call from this so-called Matt, and I pass out on the couch, never get the phone call from Matt, not once, and then oversleep my time frame to get to Nashville to go to that dreaded, crappy, awful Titans game where we lost to the Colts that night. So now there's strike two. The next day, I wake up in Nashville on New Year's Eve morning. I call Mr. Reuter again, 822-2918, 822-2918, the Chattanooga local franchise, and I call the, the, the actual office, and I call right at business hours at the first minute they're open, right before I drive back from Nashville, and I said, hey, all right, third time I'm trying to get somebody out here can you uh, can you get somebody to my house today? I have company coming over. I need something done with this sewer line. I can't flush toilets. I can't run water. I certainly can't do laundry. They're like, yes, we'll get the guy that came out before to come out and check you out this afternoon between 2 and 5. Okay, fine, between 2 and 5. Cool, whatever. I get a call from this guy at 2 o'clock. He says, hey, what's the deal? I said, here's the deal. I don't know what the deal is. He's like, well, that doesn't sound like that's what, what I did has anything to do with that. I said, I don't know if it does or not, man. I just need this fixed. Can you come look at it? Yes, I should be there about a quarter to three, or excuse me, a quarter to four. Should be around there or a little after four, something like that. No problem. I left work early, left around 3.30, came to the house and sat here until five o'clock and didn't get a call back from this Yahoo, a local guy. His name is Mike. And so I sit there and wait until 5. And then I eventually text him and I said, hey, are you coming still? Because we had talked through text before. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. I got stuck on this job. And I'm just thinking, you asshole! How many times do I have to do this? New Year's Eve, they're coming over in like three hours. I got, I got plumbing that doesn't work. What the hell? I got backups in area which luckily didn't create major water damage because of the way the tub and the old... Uh, the, the drain is, the, the tub caught the drain, caught, excuse me, caught the, the, the backup. But if that, that just been a drain in the floor, I'd had a flooded-ass kitchen and bathroom. They don't know that. that is, I just don't understand why I can't get somebody to effing call me back. So they 5 o'clock hits, they go straight right back to their, their, their answering service. I call back to Mr. Reuter, 822-2918, MrRooter.com. And I said, hey. Your guy didn't show up, and I just told him, forget it. When he said, I can't do it, can we do it uh, later in the week? I was like, no, forget it. Forget it. I need it done now. Just just g- g- go away. And um, and I called, and I got their answering service again. And I said, and I told him, I'm, I'm very frustrated, very frustrated, but I'm going to try not to take this out on you. I just want to say I am having a disastrous time with communication here, and I need something done tonight. I don't feel like it's going to get done but I have to call somebody. And he was like, well, I've got Matt. I said, oh, hey, good old Matt. Good old Matt. I already heard Matt was calling me when you guys screwed me over on Sunday. This is now, I guess, yeah, I guess this is now Monday afternoon. He's like, well, I'm sorry, sir. I, I don't know. I could just put in a, a, a call, after hours call to Matt. I said, you know what? I don't think I'm going to hear from Matt. But I'm going to go ahead and tell you to put that service call in to Matt at Mr. Reuter. 822-2918, and see if Matt happens to call me back. And when he does, I'm going to tell him, thanks, but no thanks. I didn't say all those exact words. 
And when the night went along, guess what happened? Matt from Mr. Rooter, 423-822-2918, just like Mike from Mr. Rooter, never called back. It's baffling. Baffling. And so many times over the years when I've had simple services done, I've had a lot of bad experiences. And maybe that's trying to cut corners and do things um, you know, on, on the cheap and not pay for the, for, for the good service. I think that might be part of it. This is a, I paid a shitload for this hot water heater installment. A lot. Way more than I think I should have. So on that New Year's interaction with the local guy, Mike, the one who installed the hot water heater, I text him at 4.58 on the New Year's Eve. Still able to make it out here? He responded, I'm stuck on job. Is there any way we can do this Wednesday? I'm going to be here a while. Now, this is the guy that three hours prior told me he'd be there at 4 o'clock. After I told him I have backup sewer lines and people coming over to my house that night. And after I made the scheduled appointment that morning. My next response was just simply, I'll call someone else. He said, sorry, man. I hope you get it handled. About an hour later, Brian, I'm sorry I couldn't come today, but I can Wednesday. And you can pick time and I would be happy to throw you a 50 off coupon. The next day, I said, thanks, but I'm done with this. I'm going to let everybody know about it. He then responded a very long-winded text. Really, Brian, don't forget that the hot, the water heater I put in was late night and how I had to wait for you after I was done. That's not true. He didn't have to wait. He did wait, but he certainly didn't have to. And the first night when I came at no charge to give you an estimate, so when you try and trash our name, remember how we catered to your needs and worked around your schedule. This is a time when even us as plumbers have to make time to spend with our families, and I'm sorry we couldn't make it out when you wanted, but I honestly don't think that deserves you trying to trash our company, especially when I let you know at the beginning we couldn't make it but would throw you a $50 coupon when I could come out. Here, let's dissect the lies. Especially when I told you at the beginning we couldn't make it. No, you didn't. You told me you couldn't make it when I text you at 5 o'clock. Jackass, come on, man. Stop making it worse. Just walk away. You didn't have to text this back. Uh, let's see. What else did he say that was, uh, that was bullshit? Oh, when I, first, when I first came out, there was no charge to give you an estimate. Bullshit. There was a $50 charge to give me an estimate. So enough. Enough. Just stop it. And do not use Mr. Rooter. What's the next thing I put? Just two more. I said, I'm done with this relationship, and I'm going to tell anybody who wants to listen. Happy New Year. He said, your choice, and good luck. But please advise me to what exactly you're so mad about. Of course, you're spelled wrong. So that I can change and possibly prevent this from happening again. I never responded. Mr. Rooter, local franchisee, 423-822-2918. Their on-call guy, Matt, never calls you back. And they're uh, they're did a decent job, at least I think, on the front end. Mike uh, also doesn't call back and then lies when he texts you back. It's not a good company. It's not a good place to do your uh, your plumbing and drain cleaning and any kind of services that they offer. Mister Rooter, 193 franchises across the country. Maybe some of them are good. The one here locally in Chattanooga sucks. Mister Rooter, 822-2918. On the way out here with Death Cab for Cutie. I'll tell you about the Woodstock. Uh, 99 and the gift I got that has something to do with that and we'll look at the Bonnaroo lineup coming up next and I wonder
at the Woodstock 99 concert in central New York, what was supposed to be three days of peace, love, and music ended in a night of looting and arson. Susan Arbetter from member station WAMC in Albany reports. No one knows what sparked the riots, but some concertgoers attributed it to the high cost of food and water at the event. The fires were put out this morning, and most festival-goers had left the site by 9 a.m., but the Woodstock name may have sustained lasting damage. At a news conference today, concert promoters and local leaders expressed outrage at the rioters. Tentative plans to host another Woodstock concert in Europe may have to be put on hold. For NPR News, I'm Susan Arbetter in Albany, New York. Welcome back to the show. We got to get ourselves back to the garden. Joni Mitchell's Woodstock, done by Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. Yeah, Woodstock 99 was a disaster. And as I started to do a little quick research to put this together, the main reason for this is the gift I got for Christmas, which I'll get to here in a minute. I realized I could do I could do an entire show on this, and likely in July, when um, it will become a 20-year anniversary of the festival, I I very well very well might do that. Ugh, sorry. We were half a million strong. And the fact of the matter is, is that all three Woodstocks, 69, 94, and 99, were all three absolute abstract disasters absolute total nightmares complete failures on all levels the only one that made it might have come close to not being as bad as the others would be the 94 year but i can't speak to that i was 14 and wasn't there i watched it on uh pay-per-view or mtv or i'm not sure how that was fed through back then it looked like a, an absolute blast because to me i was always mesmerized by um by by the woodstock aura the um the lore that came from the original festival which the reason it got such um it was so looked on with such revisionist history, even at an early time when it was just not that far removed, was basically because of the Oscar award-winning documentary that was filmed during it. Michael Lang is the name of the most prominent and most um, most easily recognizable organizers, promoters of all three. Of the first, second, and third, he was like 21 or something like that in 69, and then he was uh, he was in, ahead of the uh, of everything in 94, and he was right there in the mi- middle of all of, of everything in 1999. Michael Lang was, I mean, you see him on the Woodstock documentary, he's high as a kite. He is so high on LSD and whatever drugs he got while the walls psychologically, figuratively, and literally came down around him. He's lucky he wasn't sued. He's lucky him and his investors didn't go bankrupt and be put in jail because of such a um, a poorly planned and terribly executed uh, public uh, event. And uh, basically because of that documentary and the way that it, it created this fictional reality of uh, of what Woodstock was, peace and love. No, man. It, yeah, there was some of that too, but it was chaos. And in 1994, there was a lot of that as well. A lot of that had to do with weather more than anything else. But in 1999, Woodstock came back around for the 30th anniversary, and uh, it was my time to be able to live this kind of thing. I have... Um, I've always been fascinated by the fa- uh, festival culture, which I'll get into the uh, Bonnaroo uh, announcement uh, from the lineup from uh, Tuesday here before I wrap up this segment. And that's that's where all that began with me in in the early 90s and the mid 90s and the Woodstock aura and um, and mystique. And so I had to go to Woodstock 99. I just turned 19 and nobody was going to stop me. If I remember right, I'm only going on memory. I think tickets were like 125 bucks, which was a shitload of money at that point for me. But 
I don't think that that was uh, unreasonable looking back on it that way. I'm I, I'm not sure. That's not the point of this right now. But I looked at the uh, lineup a little while ago before I put this together, and it really was loaded up on Friday. Oleander, Mo, Buck Cherry was huge again. Remember, this was a different time twenty years ago. Insane Clown Posse, George Clinton, James Brown, G Love, Jamiroquai, Live, Cheryl Crow, DMX, Offspring, Corn, Bush. I saw all three of those in a row. Offspring, Corn, Corn, and Bush. Um, there was Guster. Bruce Hornsby, Everclear, Ice Cube, Mickey Hart and Planet Drum, which I saw. The Chemical Brothers, Tragically Hip, Kid Rock, Wyclef Jean, Counting Crows, Dave Matthews Band, Alanis Morissette, Limp Biscuit, Rage Against the Machine, Metallica, uh, Mike Ness, Our Lady Peace, Seven Dust, Collective Soul, Godsmack, Megadeth, The Brian Seltzer Orchestra, Willie Nelson, Elvis Costello, Everlast, Jewel, Creed featuring Robbie Krieger from The Doors, Red Hot Chili Peppers were the final act. And in the end, for a long story short, people were being molested. People, women primarily, people were being assaulted. Uh, There was looting. There was fires. There was arson. There was vandalism. It was a disaster. It was just a total, complete disaster. But being 19, 19 years old and being in an era where there are no cell phones. We don't, we had one cell phone that was sent with us amongst two cars worth of people. So we could contact somebody in the case of an emergency. And it was surely dead at that point. So it's not like, Hey, I'm over here at the East stage seeing a bunch of crazy stuff. What are you seeing over there, bro? None of that happened. You go back to your campsite. If you're lucky, you're still getting along with everybody you're with and you go from there. And so, to me, I was still experiencing something that was so amazing, nothing, even as bad as it could get, could make me upset about it and could make me mad about it and make me uh, be disparaging about this, um, this event because, to me, this was my Woodstock. This was for me. This was finally my time to get to experience something like this. So how dare you come in here after the fact? And talk about how awful of a situation it was. I had a lot of fun. I saw some great music that weekend. I had some great times. I took some drugs, great drugs that I got from, we had a great and cool neighbor who gave me some uh, hallucinogenics at Rage Against the Machine, Metallica, and Mickey Hart Night. It freaked me out. But it was wild. And the whiskey that I snuck in, I sat up all night long tripping and, and, and sipping Canadian whiskey that I got above the border right before. Again, this is a long story I'm not going to get into right now. I'll probably do it in July. And, and just sat there and just thinking about the world and myself and my life at 19. I, I, I was fascinated by what I saw. But I couldn't see how bad it was around me because like, I was only able to experience what was right in front of me. And that's the way the world used to work, especially in 69, certainly in 89, 94, 99. It was beginning to become more uh, more electronic and uh, that, that kind of communication. And then obviously, we know where we're at over the last 20 years. I, I just I didn't want to hear bad mouthing about my festival. Well, as I got back. I, uh, I called Jeff Styles over talk radio, talked to him on the air about it. That's when I first started getting interested in getting on the radio. And I started reading, you know, magazines, Spin, Rolling Stone, re- watching the news, whatever forms of, of entertainment I had. A little bit of internet, a little, little bit of internet at 1999, just barely, though. And I, there was this big article in Spin. And I was like, I was so furious when I read this write-up on Woodstock 99 that I wrote a letter to the editor and for the tail end of the year the wrap-up from spin released or the issued january 2000 so right at the turn of the new century the year in music this is the cover album of the year nine inch nails band of the year rage against the machine also including dr dre buck cherry tlc tommy lee Let's see, what else here? Uh, top 20 albums of the year, hottest thing, blah, 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 blah. Uh, Mark McGrath loses pants and mind. And this this is the cover of this Spin magazine that published my letter to the editor right around five months after Woodstock 99 had concluded. And I remember getting a phone call on the old house phone, right? We didn't have cell phones yet. At least I didn't. And um, it was from Spin Hey, this is Spin Magazine. Want to talk to Brian? Wait, what? Uh, Mom. Uh, hey, uh, Brian. 
Spin magazines on the phone. <laughs> Wait, are you, what are you talking about? Get over there. I don't remember it vividly, but it was someone saying, hey, can we have your permission to, to put your letter in our uh, year-end magazine? I was like, are you kidding me? Of course. <laughs> of course. And so I had talked about that for years and years. I know I had the magazine after it came out because I knew it was going to be in there and was so excited to see it. And then after all those years, I uh, I lost it. Just I, mean, I pack rat stuff, but I lose things and things get accidentally thrown away, whatever. And so a friend of mine, I've got the magazine in my hand right here. A friend of mine who went with us on that trip, who's one of my best friends, who I go over to this house for Christmas every year on Christmas night, bring the rum and the uh, eggnog and spike eggnog shots while all the kids and all the cousins and his big family all op- has their another round of Christmas. And we always talk. We were, we're, the, we're turning into those old guys that have the same conversation every Christmas, right? You, th- you, know, you think of grandpa and dad and like, oh, you remember that time when we did this? It's like, yeah, grandpa, you said that last year. Yeah, dad, I remember the first time you told me that five years ago. We're turning into that same type. And so we would regularly talk about the Woodstock trip because it was such a disaster, but such an amazing experience to look back on. Because we were, again, I'll do this another time in a more stretched out form. We were gone for a week. We were in Canada. We, you know, we were driving. We were stopping. We were doing all kinds of fun things. And one thing I'd always talked about is how I hate that I'd I'd never kept that spin magazine that had that. Um, that had that letter to the editor in it. But I'd never done a lot of research to whether I could find it. I'm sure if I tried hard enough, I could have. Well, this year, my friend, Al Nudewal, the same Christmas night that I go to to just eat, open a couple gifts and drink some eggnog shots, handed me a box, and I open it up, and it was the January 2000 edition of Spin Magazine with my letter to the editor included in the going postal section of the magazine. It's about as cool of a gift as you could possibly imagine getting. Maybe I'm a dork for certain things like this. I don't know. But uh, I was blown away with how cool this was. It's a $2.50 magazine 20 years ago, and it's as priceless as, as it could be. So I'm going to read you this um, this quick letter. I don't know if this is how long it was. They probably shortened it just to uh, fit it in because this was a whole section on people responding to Woodstock 99, which I'll read some more of these at a later date. But this is what I wrote uh, back in late 1999. And remember, it was in response to I was mad that people were bagging on my Woodstock. The people were talking about how my experience was bad when nobody asked me. Nobody asked me if I enjoyed it. Everybody's talking about how awful it was. Nobody's talking about how good things are. And that was the mindset I had when I wrote this letter. Quite literally, pen to paper, lick the, the, the envelope, throw a stamp on it, and mail it off to New York to Spin Magazine. I attended Woodstock 99, and the things I read do not match up with my experiences. The media just blew up the negative aspects of the concert. Face it, people want to read about the bad more than the good. Don't get me wrong, things went downhill and it wasn't a day in the park. But there were so many positive things about it that, unfortunately, are not quite as interesting as what was printed. Nothing sells better than a spiced-up negative story. Brian in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And so now I have this Spin magazine. I promise you I will not lose it or let it get recycled or thrown away ever again. Hashtag coolest Christmas gift of the year. Now, what makes this segment maybe even a little bit more interesting is that after that Woodstock 99 disaster, those kinds of massive festivals in the United States all but disappeared. There were still a few traveling ones. I think Lollapalooza was still trying to do what they did. Uh, Vans Warped Tour possibly was still going. The Horde Tour might have been still going. But that those were small shows city to city. Those weren't massive festivals. There was so much liability and so much fear that what happened at Woodstock would happen again. And at that time, music was so aggressive. Kid Rock, Limp Bizkit, Whoever the hell else, it was gross time for music. It really was just an awful, awful time for popular music in the at the turn of the century. And nobody was um, would dare touch anything that would have such liability to it. And then then came around 
2002. And Ashley Caps and his group that would turn into AC Entertainment and Superfly out of Knoxville and decided to do Bonnaroo up in Manchester, Tennessee at um, on that on that plot of land. And it was uh, let's just let's do something totally different. Let's do all jam bands where everybody's chill. There's not going to be people burning anything down. There's not going to be looting. There's not going to be anything more than just, you know, a broken heart and maybe a drug overdose here and there. And that's where Bonnaroo started and created a new spark of, of a new industry, an entire new industry in the United States. Coachella was going on back then, but you know, things were just were different. We didn't none of us over here in Tennessee knew anything about Coachella out in uh, out in California. But outside of that, there was almost nothing in this country that that looked like Bonnaroo. And now they're everywhere. They don't all look like Bonnaroo, certainly. They're all different and they have their own kind of identities. But now festival uh festivals industry is massive. And it is the way you make your money as an artist. You don't sell albums anymore. Clearly, you go to festivals. And so Bonnaroo became my next thing after Music Midtown for a few years in Atlanta was a festival I went to for about three years after Woodstock 99 and then started Bonnaroo in 2002. I've been to every single one of them. And the announcement for the lineup came out on Tuesday the 8th. And my favorite day of the year, one of my favorite days of the year, is the Bonnaroo announcement. And this one was just as much fun as them all. I'm not going to get into a ton of it today. I'll break it down once it gets the full schedule out. But um, overall, I'm I'm happy with it. I think there's a lot of really, really good music on this lineup. Of course, I don't care if Eddie Vedder was just reading the phone book to me on the main stage at Bonnaroo, or it made, that's a bad example. Let's say uh, Trey from Fish reads the phone book um, on uh, on the main stage. I'm still going to have an incredible experience because that's what Bonnaroo is, an absolute experience. It's not just this event. It's not just this thing you go to to catch a show or to catch a flick or to grab a drink or to do a drug. It's a place you go to to experience a weekend, to experience people, to experience other people's experiences. It is quite an almost out-of-body kind of thing. I know I'm sounding a little douchey here, but I'm totally serious. I don't use the word magical in much. That weekend is magical to me, and it is. I, w- I would know what to do with my, with my life if I didn't have that, that four-and-a-half to five-day stretch every June. So we'll look at the lineup here real quick. And for the first time, they've done it differently. Usually, they announce just a full poster. You've seen the concert poster. The names are big at the top, and they get smaller and smaller as it goes down. And then later on, most all festivals do this. It's almost like that. the next thing, the next hype move is to give you the daily schedule. This year, they started off with the daily schedule, which I think is, I don't know, I don't know why we just, uh, me and my uh, camp nut butter uh, met friends and regulars talked about this the night that it was, or we got an advance the night before and we couldn't figure out why they did it, but we certainly were glad that they did. Thursday is always the, um, the opener with a bunch of stuff nobody's ever heard of. Friday night, June 14th, Fish, the Avett brothers, Courtney Barnett, who I'm absolutely in love with, AJR, who annoys me a little bit, but are very good. Beach House is solid. Catfish and the Bottlemen is actually a name of a real band who have a few songs I am somewhat familiar with. Uh, Grizz is a super popular EDM band, and they're, he he or they or whoever they are is also doing a super jam that night. Couldn't pay me to do that, but I think a lot of people are excited about that. And another one of the headliners, Childish Gambino, who I've only heard of in the last year or so. I'm very excited to see what his show will be like, especially now that he's mainstream. He's been to the farm many times, but uh, most people didn't know who he was, including me. On Saturday, the main headliner at the top of the list, Post Malone. I wouldn't know Post Malone if he walked in this garage right now as I recorded this podcast and said, hey, man, you got an extra mic? I'd like to be on your podcast. My name's Post Malone. I'd say, Post Malone, I don't know who the hell you are, and you need to get out of my house, bro. (laughs) Anyway... He is the Saturday night headliner. Saturday is pretty loaded. Then Odessa, Hozier, Casey Musgraves, The National, which I'm not a huge fan of. I do love Casey Musgraves. Joe Russo's Almost Dead, basically the most well-known cover, uh, Grateful Dead cover band in the country. John Prine, Jim James from My Morning Jacket with a full band, which will be fantastic. Shovels and Rope, always fun. 
Bishop Briggs, up and coming artist. We play on Alt 98.7. She seems to be pretty good. And the record company, eh, I can take them or leave them. But if I were happen to be in uh, earshot, I would stop by. And that brings me now to Sunday, which at the top of the list is Fish, again, two sets. So effectively here, we have Fish doing three shows in one weekend. One on Friday and two on Saturday, uh, excuse me, on Sunday. I don't know why that's necessary. I don't know why they're doing that. It almost feels like they had a headliner fall apart on them, so they just added Fish again. Fish is fine. I love a lot of their music. I got no use for them three times in one weekend, but that's fine. The Lumineers, big-time fan. Most anybody who likes that kind of music loves them. I've never seen them. That'll be fun. Uh, Cardi B. Everybody's going off and crazy about this person. I don't know anything about her, I guess it is. She's on the list here. Car- uh, Brandy Carlisle will be nice. Walk the Moon, eh, I can take her leave. King Princess, Lil Dicky. You've ever heard of Lil Dicky? Check him out. That's fun. Trample by Turtles if I happen to be uh, bored. Wood Brothers if I'm in the area. Two Feet if I happen to have a couple of extra minutes and haven't left already. Bonnaroo 2019 is June 13th through 16th. And uh, really the biggest thing I'm most excited about is uh, Courtney Barnett on Friday. And uh, just the overall experience of Bonnaroo, I cannot wait for June. Speaking of which, this is Courtney Barnett on the way out. Coming up next, so Trump is trying to scare people. Democrats are trying to scare people. Your neighbor's trying to scare people. Big business is trying to scare people, or if not that, at least manipulate people. This entire basis of the capitalistic society of America is based on trickery and foolery and deceit. So it's not really all that surprising what's going on here. And is it fake outrage that anybody cares about this government shutdown? Spoiler alert, spoiler alert, yes. I'll get to all that plus more coming up next. proud of doing what I'm doing. I don't call it a shutdown. I call it doing what you have to do for the benefit and for the safety of our country. You can call it whatever you want. You can call it the Schumer or the Pelosi or the Trump shutdown. Doesn't make any difference to me. Just words. I I just don't understand why uh, why the president has has staked this ground out, said I will not give. That doesn't make any sense. But I will also tell you this. People in the country are concerned about border security. Down with disease, freaks in my bed, trying to stop these demons that keep dancing in my head. Welcome back to the Stone on Air podcast. It is the weekly dose for January 9th, the first show of the new year. This is Down with Disease from Fish, playing three sets over two nights at Bonnaroo 2019. Cannot wait for June. And I absolutely love this band. I absolutely do. Nate Gale, my longtime buddy and former colleague, well, still colleague to a certain degree, was like, oh, I can't believe Stone's talking about loving fish. What's going on here? I love fish. I just think their live shows are, I don't know. I guess the drugs don't hit me right. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Stop, 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 stop. So on the front end of that uh, rejoin, that was obviously the president. And then my guy, who should be the president of the United States, John Kasich. I was going to play some more audio from him, but right now I think Kasich's beginning to play to the talking head media because he's getting a lot of face time. I don't know how much politics he has left in his career. He might have a lot. He might have a lot. I, I, I don't know. It sounds to me like he might be coming more of that Republican, not totally anti-Trump, but he has been against what Trump's been doing and saying and how he's been acting since the beginning. Part of the reason why I like the guy so much. 
John Kasich is the adult in the room when it came to the um, to the Republican primaries back in the uh, you know in the uh, late 15 and early in the middle 16 leading up to the uh, to the primary elections and uh, he's just always stuck out as a, as a real practical guy. And uh, I like, uh, I just like anytime I get some audio from him, I was going to run some more, but there's no real reason to it because he's beginning to kind of say some of the same stuff over and over again. I'm going to keep this segment short and uh, wrap this show up here pretty soon because uh, for for having three weeks off, I am not nearly as prepared as, uh, as I, as I could be overall. I think it's uh, gone decently. So I got two overall major points here. I stayed up, not stayed up, I was going to stay up no matter what, but I decided not to record the podcast until uh, Trump made his address from the Oval Office, which is right around nine minutes long at nine o'clock on Tuesday evening, the 8th, and then the response from Skeletor, or I mean um, Pelosi and uh, Schumer, and that ended around 9.30 by the time that was all done, and then I started the podcast. So at this point, it's now uh, basically in the middle of the night on the 9th, and so I was trying to think, what is my point for all this, because first of all, I thought Trump was going to go out and continue to fearmonger, which he pretty much fearmongers all the time. But it's not just him. Politicians have been fearmongering since uh, I don't know seventeen ninety one. I don't know, making up uh, times and years. But he was he was not as over the top as I thought he would be. I I didn't mind the response from the Democrats. I thought it was fine. I thought the overall thing was fine. But I do think it's a little bit. It's it's. This shutdown thing is not that big a deal, and I don't think many people even barely understand what it is. Because why? Because first of all, there's government shutdowns in every administration multiple times. I have not pulled that um, that that history list off. I've done it in the past, probably back on the radio station. I did a whole radio show going back and looking at past shutdowns. It's no big deal. There's not much all that shut down. There are some people who are going to miss some paychecks. Sucks for them. Whoever they vote for. Is going to matter, and that's outside of that, it doesn't matter to any of us walking around. It doesn't matter to you and me and him and Jill and Jim and James and all those other people. It doesn't really matter because nothing's really shut down. It was announced uh, the earlier this week that um, that the IRS was going to issue tax refunds even while we're in a shutdown. So what exactly is shut down? Yellowstone National Park? <laughs> okay. You know, a few government uh, entities that maybe in the end aren't that important. Um, because of uh, government uh, overspending, remember the fake outrage about the the uh, the debt, the national deficit. That's fake. Nobody cares about that, and nobody really cares about this shutdown either. It's hashtag worthy on Twitter. It might be uh, worthy of some threads of some people on Facebook, and surely Reddit's going crazy with it. But in the end of the day, to each you know individual person walking around, nobody really cares because it doesn't really affect much of anybody. It's a lot of fake outrage. And do it, should we get it back open and get get some something going? Of course we should. But you know I'm gonna let that just play out however it plays out. But what it comes down to to me, and I got to thinking as I was putting this segment together, and I was I've had this this handful of pieces of paper that I printed off and in my little notes itself was this is all just we're all just lying to each other just lying 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 you know I go on and on about this all the time I'm all about authenticity I'm all about um, um, transparency and uh, and calling out frauds and fakes when I see it and this whole idea that there's a border crisis isn't any more real or fake than it ever has been it's not different now than it was a few years ago right before the midterms that, that fake made up, you know, what was it? The, the, the what, how did they, what are the words they use of all the hundreds or thousands of people that were on the, on their march to the border? Yeah, that wasn't true. I mean, there's people trying to get across the border every single day in this country, but that, that story was made up. And majority of most everything you're seeing everywhere is made up because the basics of, of, of capitalism and the, and the foundation of America is based on manipulation and deceit. Let's see if we can convince people. Sometimes trying to convince people is a form of deceit and lying as well. Let's let, Hey, here's what the cereal looks like. No, it actually doesn't look like that. Here's the burger over here. No, it actually, that burger doesn't look like that. Hey, this look how this might taste. You know, the burger doesn't taste like that. You know, the, these vacations that we're trying to sell you that are so amazing, these packages, yeah, they're not that amazing. They're, they're, they're deceitful in nature. 
to try to convince you to do things you might not already do, we as a big corporate America, as a small corporate America, within your family structure, within your friends, uh, your social circles, you'll say things that might not necessarily be true to try to get people to do things they might not have done if you didn't go out of your way to try to manipulate the situation. Manipulation, deceit, lies, fraud, it's all... They're all very similar. They're cousins to each other. They might not be the exact same thing, but they're close. And I found this online, things you should know about liars. And that's just, and what does this have to do with the shutdown and all that? N- not all that much other than Trump's going to lie to everybody to make sure his people stay with him. And Pelosi and, and Schumer are going to lie their way into manipulating for, for their base to stay with them. And it's just one person lying to each other after another. And almost every single one of us are liars. It's just different ways of identifying what kind of liars we all are. I've had this in my hand for, oh, I don't know, probably two or three weeks. Things you should know about liars. You are lied to dozens of times every day. Being able to understand when, why, and how people lie helps you establish more honest relationships and prevent disasters from happening due to being falsely informed. We are all liars. While you might like to think you're an honest person, statistically speaking, you are too a liar. Researchers estimate the average person lies a minimum of once or twice a day. Do you ever give people compliments that aren't completely genuine? Have you told someone you were doing well when in reality you were exhausted and having a terrible week? Do you ever tell people you are busy to avoid having to talk to them for an extended period of time or having to do something with them? you answered yes, well, then, yeah, you're technically a liar. Well, that, that's there's a difference. There's the normal liar. We'll call that the quote-unquote normal liar. And the prolific liar. Back to this. The good news is most people are honest. But spotting the prolific liar is the tricky part. Prolific liars are those who report that they tell five or more lies per day. Prolific liars tend to be younger, male, and have higher occupational statuses. They are likely to lie the most to their partners and children. They are more likely than the average person to believe that lying is acceptable in some circumstances. And they are less likely to lie because of concern for others and more likely to lie for their own self-interest, such as to protect a secret. Boy, that sounds like just about every asshole walking around now, doesn't it? Here's an interesting part that I liked that is kind of goes into that that Brian Williams telling the story about being in the uh, the, the 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 chopper in the, the Iraq War and getting hit by RPG fire or whatever that's called. Memories of liars. For the majority of people, lying about an event increased their certainty that the event in question did or did not happen when asked about it later. Participants in this study appeared to have had their memories altered by their lies because they reported believing their lies were actually true. Researchers believe that in those cases, telling lies wields the same power as the imagination to alter memories. Very clearly, imagining events can trick the brain into labeling them as memories regardless of whether they are true or not. And one of the better ones of this long list that I've just cherry-picked the ones I like the most, which could be in in itself a form of manipulation for this uh, podcast. I get that. Liars struggle to answer why questions. If you suspect someone might be lying to you, but you aren't sure, an easy way to find out is to ask them why questions. It is much more difficult for people to lie about why they did something or why something happened, than it is for them to lie about basic facts. If someone struggles to explain their intentions, it's a major red flag that they are lying. That goes back to the quote that I stole from Jeff Stiles that I used as a a song lyric, a song name that I used to play guitar all the time, was, the truth is easy to remember. If you can't remember the truth, that's because you're probably not telling the truth. And what does all this have to do with the beginning of this segment? If Trump tells his his base, the people who believe everything he says, enough that there's a, a state of emergency, that there is a border crisis, if he says it enough, 
It'll become fact to not only the people listening, but it's become fact to himself because you've created a memory based on the way that you conduct yourself and how you do or don't uh, communicate. Same thing with the other side, Pelosi and Schumer. If, if, the, if, the, if the left says enough times that the wall is not effective and all this research shows that it's not, except not one of us out here assholes have any access. Well, we have access, but we don't go get the access to the information, the sources that tell us that this border wall is not necessary but we're told it enough, and then we tell it enough again. It becomes a memory. It becomes something that we believe because our brain has convinced ourselves that it's true without any fact. That's where we're at now, a factless society. Whether it's big-time, super serious stuff that matters or petty, as we like to call them, quote-unquote, white lies. This, it's still deceit. It's still manipulation. It's still not real. And that's where I just, I am so disheartened with the way we're at in, in, in the world right now, in the country, especially, at least societally, that we just don't know what is or isn't true because no one bothers to do any fact-checking because we live in a factless society. And um, lying is fun. Lying, we enjoy doing. We like to create uh, we like to create false realities, alternative facts, because real life sucks, right? If we can manipulate it to, to be the way we want it, it makes us feel better. And that's why almost every single day you're interacting with some kind of liar. And to be able to point that out and decipher between the two is at least going to go a long way in helping keeping us all sane. That's all I got. I'm out of here. Stone on Air on all social media, at Stone on Air. If you're listening on iTunes or any kind of podcasting app and they allow you to leave a review, I'd appreciate it if you'd say this show's great or this show sucks. If you don't want to do that, I get it. That's fine as well. On the way out here with Fish, down with disease, waiting for the time when I can finally say this has all been wonderful. Now I'm on my way. Y'all take care. See you later. Bye. Oh, the time when I can find